0: Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, usually on Tuesdays, I am introducing you to a amazing fraud fighter, and I will be doing that next week. But this week's going to be a little bit different. I know I said that a few weeks ago as well. I truthfully, the plans that I had for interviews at Marketplace Risk Conference just didn't work out. Just kind of the layout of the venue as well as the schedule just didn't allow for Time to interview anyone. So I got to thinking about it, and I think I have a special treat for you all. It's going to be so if you are a regular listener of my previous podcast, The Online Frogcast, then you may have heard this episode before. But even though it's almost exactly three years old, I would say 95% of it is still very relevant to our landscape today. The number one requested content or topic that I get asked to talk about by you guys and that I haven't yet talked about is vendor and merchant relationships, especially in the sales process. Oftentimes it's sales professionals on the solution provider side really trying to understand the complexities of enterprise fraud you know, leaders and how do I build relationships with them? How do I connect with them? What do I do? What do I what should I not do? Uh, and I will tell you that Most of the sales content that's out there, whether it be in books or podcasts or courses or whatever, is absolutely garbage when it comes to enterprise fraud and and payment sales as well. It really doesn't work for us. And I explain that in this episode as to why. And I think that you will find that fascinating. But I also get this request on this topic from merchants, too. Usually it's in the context of, can you tell vendors this? Or I really wish they understood that. But I just don't have the time to train them or, you know, whatever. Right. That's coming from these fraud leaders that are just so insanely busy, especially right now. And I'm going to talk about that more on Thursday as well. In addition to talking more about marketplace risk in my time in San Francisco. And there are a lot of headlines to go through. So Thursday is going to be packed as well. But so the topic is still very relevant. People, it's like we have two sides. And like I titled the episode, merchants are from Mars, vendors are from Venus. They're two very different sides. It's almost the differences between men and women. And I'm in this really unique position at this 10,000 foot view of this industry where I get to see both sides. I get to understand both sides frustrations, very valid frustrations. I am a merchant at heart. so. I probably side more with the merchants a lot of times. But again, I mean, a lot of times they're talking to me about their frustrations, not necessarily, wow, I have an amazing sales ref. (laughs) It does happen, but not as much as the other way. I think that both sides, whether you are a merchant or a vendor, will find some interesting tidbits in this episode that I did. And there, I do want to create a follow up to this episode. There have just been some new developments, especially with COVID. I mean, the person that you're about to listen to had no idea that there was going to be an international pandemic in less than a year from when I recorded that. And that did impact things a lot. I mean, there's just a lot more email and LinkedIn messages happening than ever before. There are things that I suggest you never do in an email or LinkedIn message and some things that will be work. But that has been the go-to method, which means if you are a fraud leader for an enterprise merchant, especially a big brand, you're probably receiving 50, 60 emails a day. I mean, maybe not that many, but it's a lot. And I know that. And so, but it's a challenge for sales reps because they have a job to do. And a lot of them do have good information to share. Not all of them, but a lot of them. (laughs) I also will say that I do provide in my consultancy some training as well as coaching for Uh, select solution providers in the space, but I just wanted to throw that out there that if you are finding this helpful, you want to understand more specifics for your company or the type of merchants or the type of solution that you're providing, happy to talk about it. But that is tricky. I I don't like saying no to people. But anyway, I just hope that you guys enjoy this episode. I hope that you you learn a few things along the way, whether you are a merchant or a vendor. Whichever side of e-commerce fraud you're on, or if you've been both, I hope that you find this episode enlightening, and I look forward to talking with you on Thursday. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So, what is Sardine? I mean... Other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably more specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you, benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created, as they, their customers, Need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So, if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. Why did I want to do this podcast so badly? More than ever, I've seen just a huge divide between merchant and vendors, their perspectives, what they want. I hear a lot. Steve Casco actually used to call it scuttlebutt. Hey, Chris, what's the scuttlebutt? I have a lot of scuttlebutt. I try to keep it to myself. I really try hard not to. And I most often don't name merchant names, but I do know a lot about what vendors are better than others at sales, as well as their products and everything else. I'm, I'm very lucky that because I'm a former merchant and the roles I've had that I've earned the trust of a lot of merchants. And I also put on a lot of merchant-only events because I know how important they are. I mean, you guys on the vendor side would probably be really surprised about how much merchants tell each other, both the bad and the good. It's great to hear them say, hey, you should actually, if you're having that problem, you should talk to these guys because they're great. And sometimes they get into pricing. A lot of times they don't. I've definitely seen when one merchant gives another merchant, "But hey, these guys are great. That is like gold. I mean, other merchants are almost more likely. I know they're more likely to sign on the dotted line with that vendor than if not, especially if it comes up organically and it's not forced or seems their provider put them up to it. I also hear a lot of bad and so do other merchants. And let me tell you, it gets around fast and there's almost like this unspoken list or just unwritten list, really of vendors that that merchants start staying away from because you hear one time, oh, my gosh, once they have your email, they're never going to let it go or other horror stories that we're going to be talking about soon. They stay away. So some companies have a reputation problem and I'm not sure they know it. But I really feel like I strongly believe that solution providers play a really important part in our industry. They help us be successful in fraud prevention and it shouldn't be us versus them. It shouldn't be merchants versus vendors or vendors versus merchants. But I personally believe it should be all of us, vendors and merchants against the bad guys. But there's shared responsibility in this divide. And honestly, I, more than ever, more money is being pumped into solutions through venture capitalists and private equity and all these other things And that means more sales reps. It means more pressure to sell. It means there's higher goals and caps and you've got phone calls from investors wanting their money. And so you've got to hit the target. And the more sales reps there are, the less are people who really understand this industry or the people that they're targeting. And unfortunately, bad sales habits, the bad sales reps, they ruin the perspective of vendors for everyone. They ruin their reputation for the good vendors. They ruin the reputation for merchants. I, I know some merchants who haven't reached out to vendors who I genuinely feel like would really help them because they've heard or they've had a bad experience with a bad sales rep. I'll get into a little bit more like what I mean by a bad sales rep, but there's definitely bad behavior. And I know that you vendors have heard that too. I mean, I know you guys have heard horror stories too. But unfortunately, you're getting looped in together. And the only way you're going to be able to separate yourself out is by your actions. It's not going to be. I I feel like every vendor believes that you're one of the good guys. I've talked to a lot of you and some of you. I'm like, "Mm." but everyone thinks, no, I'm a good one. I'm coming from a good place until you all. Here's what I'm trying to say. You all think that you're an exception to the slimy sales rep stereotype. But merchants think that you all are that way until you prove them wrong. So you have to be willing to prove yourself. You have to be patient and wait for them to see that you're different. But unfortunately, there's some really bad behavior out there that's ruining things. I mean, when I think about the landscape between vendors and merchants, even five years ago, it felt a lot more collaborative and partnership. There just wasn't as much need and so many, just so many sales rep. That's a really you know, huge volume, but also just this pressure to get people to sign. I've also been working with a few vendors the last few months on helping them learn the industry and how to better sell their products to merchants. I've heard valid complaints on their side, too. One of the vendors I'm working with, actually, their product is free for merchants, which kind of sounds crazy. But the way their business model is, the other side of the equation pays for it fully. And I... Signed up to help them because I genuinely believe in what they're doing for the future of our industry, connecting merchants and issuers together. So essentially, the issuers are paying for the full amount of the service because it's beneficial to them, just as beneficial as it is to merchants. And I offered to do some introductions to my network, which just so everyone knows that is not something that I will be offering again. It was a one time deal because if I keep doing it, then it's not going to have value. But also, it wasn't really a sales thing. I genuinely think that this product will help the merchants I'm reaching out to. I'm not reaching out to people I don't think it'll help. And even though it's free, I've seen such an insight. And there are people who have been my friends. But when I say, hey, I'd really love for you to meet my client. This is what they're doing. I think it'd be really good for you. Sometimes I get ghosted or I see a different side of my friends. I'm like, oh, man, no wonder the vendors feel defeated sometimes. So know that like it's not just you guys and it's not just because it's a paid product. Unfortunately, everyone has their guard up and there are, I believe, some ways that we can knock that down. But we have to be strategic and really thoughtful about how we do that. I do have to say that I'm going to go into a lot of generalizations. I do offer in my consultancy. Training for vendors on fraud in general. I have a fraud 101 or a fraud boot camp, whatever you want to call it, like a primer, as well as on payments too, and chargebacks training that I do live or over for the phone, as well as I provide strategy calls to vendors on understanding their position in the market as well as how to better sell to merchants. Merchants, the reason why I do this is actually for you guys. It's not just to pad my pocketbook, though. Bills do need to get paid. But really, it's because if I can help them have some insight into what they've done wrong or what they can do better, I think it's better for the industry. I'm coming from a really genuine place. So that's why I've been offering that. And I think it's been extremely helpful to people. I will never name merchant names that have provided feedback, no matter how much you beg. And I will not offer introductions specifically to my network, but there's a lot of value in the specific information that I provide. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to get through all my notes today. There's just so much here that I can definitely provide on situational basis. So that's the only advertisement you'll hear today. I just I wanted to throw that out that if you're like, oh, I wanted to know more, like that's why or that that is how you can learn more. I'm going to have to go through this pretty fast because I just know I wrote out way too much. I worked on prep for this for like two and a half hours because I wanted to be super intentional. So I asked on LinkedIn and a few of my closest contacts in the industry to help answer a few questions about the merchant and vendor gap in online fraud prevention. I got more responses back than I was expecting. I think because this is a pretty hot button topic right now. I asked several questions and I got way too many answers to read on the podcast. I tried to select the ones that I thought would be most helpful and that would lead into my advice at the end that I'd already created. So it kind of complements each other in a way. After CNP, and I have to like temper expectations because I have a lot going on, but mid to late June, I plan on curating this information and I'll take out the parts where people said, don't say this out loud, but providing it publicly for both sides. And I'll do that on LinkedIn as well as hopefully my website once it gets updated for you guys to learn better and read all the responses. I know when I mentioned that I was going to do this podcast like a month and a half ago, a few of you have reached out so many times being like, oh, have I missed it or is it coming yet? And I actually really appreciate that because it validated the fact that other people want to hear this. But. Also just know I this time of year is just insanely busy. I'm very grateful that it's busy. Things will start dying down soon and I'll be taking on more individual clients as well as doing some of this other stuff too. So, okay, with all that said, one of the first questions I asked in the survey was my worst experience with a vendor or a merchant. So whatever opposite side was, dot. I should say first that I kind of laughed because at the very first thing I asked is I'm considered a merchant a vendor Or a merchant that switched to the dark side kind of as a joke, right? I didn't have to ask that question because every single answer, which I anonymized the answers on purpose because I know so many people that did it and I just didn't want that to taint my perspective. Oh, I love what they say or, you know, those kind of things. But I could tell exactly who was a merchant and a vendor by what was said. So that was kind of funny to me. So I'm going to first read the ones from merchants and you guys might hear a little bit of paper ruffling. And that's just because I have a lot of papers spread out all throughout my desk with all of these things. There was like 12 pages to the survey when I printed it out. Okay. So merchant number one said, I had a call with a vendor. I told them I was in discussions with multiple vendors and would follow up if I was interested. Thereafter, the salesperson began nearly harassing me, calling me directly, calling our support line, emailing repeatedly, contacting me via LinkedIn, then pass my details to another sales rep who began doing the same thing. OK, here's the deal. This relationship between a merchant and a vendor from start to finish is like dating. If you are harassing the person, if you are contacting them over and over again multiple ways and they're not calling you back, they're just not that into you. It's a waste of your time, too, as a vendor. But it also literally, I'm not joking, merchant bad or vendor bad behavior makes merchants not ever want to work with your company, not only when they're at their current company, but their next company. And if that sales rep moves to another company, they won't work with that company, too. Now, I know what you're saying, vendors, like, oh, that's closed minded. That's not fair. When if we had a bad day, I get it. That's just the way it is. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I can't change how it is. All I can do is tell you about it. Okay, so next merchant said, I told a vendor via LinkedIn that I didn't like having the platform used to solicit me for business. The vendor then identified someone that worked for me and said and reached out to them and said they knew me and that they wanted to start a conversation with my coworker about doing business. Coworker told me and social engineering attempt was foiled. So there are some merchants that genuinely feel like some vendors are trying to social engineer their company which is interesting because the fraud department is constantly being socially engineered. Probably not the right department to try to do that, but trying to wiggle your way in is kind of what they mean. I have heard this complaint over and over again. So if you're talking to a company and the main person, say you're talking to the decision maker and they say no, Going to 47 other people in the company to tell them about your product isn't going to work. You have to understand that when it comes to fraud and payments and chargebacks, there's usually only one gatekeeper. They're the ones who are deciding yes, no, maybe for should we go further in the conversation with this vendor? If you try to go around them either before they say no or after they say no, they are not going to like that because you know what happens when you go to all 47 other people in their company or even one or two or three? all of those people are emailing that gatekeeper and saying, hey, this company reached out to me. I'm sending it your way because I know it's your business. So I recently was in a situation where this happened, where a large merchant said no to a vendor. And I guess I wasn't in the situation. I was just an observer. I was in a consulting relationship actually with the merchant. And They, you know, said no to the vendor. The vendor then at every conference kept going up to different people from that company and, hey, I just want to tell you about my product. And then emailing them and then doing all this other stuff. And finally, there was an email and I was CC'd on it to the vendor saying, listen, I said no, everyone else is coming to me. I am literally having to respond to internal emails about your company every period, single period, day, period. Please." stop. I really wish that I could say that the vendor stopped. I don't know if they did, but it is annoying. It gets you on their blacklist. You could be the best possible product for their company. If you do that, it's not going to work. You need to respect the hierarchy and you need to respect when one person tells you no. It's very important. Now, can you continue to build your business with their competitors and then come back several months later and say, hey, you know what? Here's some success data from me working with some of your competitors. Just thought I'd let you know, like, sure, once in a while, but don't try to go around them. That's worse than when I tell my daughter no and she goes around and tell and ask dad. That'd be like her asking dad and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and cousins and sisters and blah, 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 and the dog. It's really annoying. So please stop. Okay, there's so many more. Okay, two more. So, oh, this one starts with, oh boy. I shared a new-to-me fraud trend in an industry forum. While I shared that the fraud wing was targeting high-value items, I never disclosed if my company had actually experienced any loss. So imagine my surprise when a sales rep for a fraud prevention solution, who I had already said no to, wrote to both my company's director of finance and the CFO and claimed that we were bleeding money to the tune of $6 figures. He told them that I posted this in a public forum about our company. I spent the rest of the day putting out fires as the rumor spread from finance to my boss and then back up to her boss and then to her boss's boss. In addition to dropping all of my day's work to pull emergency transaction reports and the original post on the forum to show that it wasn't saying that there was any fraud, that we were having losses to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to the CFO that I had not hidden our impending financial ruin from him. Then the sales rep had the gall after I again told him no, with nearly all of our management on carbon copy, to reply with, then why did you ask for help? When merchants post, this is why I rant and I have on several episodes about forums with mixed company. You guys just can't help yourself. It's, I'm not faulting you. When a merchant's asking a question on a forum, especially private forums like that are run by trade associations or publications or whatever's out there, they're wanting information from their peers. They're not asking for a sales pitch. I know of one vendor that literally on every single forum post in one of the common forums with merchants and vendors, Every single time a merchant posts anything, whether their company really genuinely can help them or not, if you use our solution, you wouldn't have this problem. I mean, it has had the reverse effect on her company. I have had probably 10 merchants tell me about this vendor because I'm not part of the forum. That says something because if 10 merchants have told me about this specific vendor having this behavior, that means it's so many more noticing. And that has the reverse reputation effect on your company. So be aware of that. I know you guys are coming from a good place of wanting to help. But respect the fact that merchants want to hear information from other merchants. Now, if you have worked with another merchant that had a similar issue and you they found something that was vendor agnostic that could help them, then sure, share it with them. But also don't go above the merchant's head. Again, there's a gatekeeper and there's a hierarchy. Don't go below them. Don't go beside them. Don't go above them that I am saying this to you guys, not just because it's annoying, but because it has the opposite effect on your business. It makes you be blacklisted either with just that merchant or they tell five friends. And I know in this specific case, because I know this merchant that this happened to, she has made it crystal clear to several merchants who that person was and who the company was. And that's her right, because honestly, that would piss me off too. That is highly unprofessional. I mean, yes, that was a newer sales rep to our industry, but right now the lines are blurred. Another one said, I've asked a vendor if he could help me with a specific fraud problem. He didn't understand what I was talking about. So he started blindly pitching to me after telling him whom I've talked to, launched into a 10-minute rant and badmouthing his competitor. I will never talk to this vendor again. Be professional, guys. Don't badmouth your competitors. And honestly, we can tell when you don't know what you're talking about. We can tell when you're just reading a script or when you don't know anything about the industry, please educate yourself. I recognize that there's not that much education out there. I'm hoping to be able to provide some vendor education on the vendor specific education on the industry in a more formal way through my consulting practice. By the end of the year, there will be a fee for that, but I promise you it'll be valuable. But until then, like get creative or ask questions, just do something or admit you don't know. Just don't. Oh, here's the solution to your problem is my solution. There are other things that can help. And sometimes it goes a long way to say, hey, there's three different types of solutions that would help you with that problem. Ours happens to be one of them, but here are the other ones. That's super helpful and builds credibility. Another one just said, I can't pinpoint a specific experience, but overall, those that are too pushy and try to convince me on a product that does not align with my needs and priorities. Additionally, those that aren't prepared to answer some questions that I have about their product. You need to understand the product you're selling. So again, they're echoing everything I'm saying here. Understand your product. Understand the industry. You need to understand this industry inside and out more than probably any other software as a service industry. And the reason why is because merchants that are focused on fraud have a really strong gut and they have a strong bullshit detector and they also know their stuff. And what I hear over and over again, some version of this is if I can't trust them to know about the industry or know how they can help me or know the answer to some of my questions. How can I trust their company with my transaction data? How can I trust them to have access to my data and have a direct connection to my company? So it's important. And this goes beyond just the sales reps. I think this really goes to companies in general and how you train your sales reps. I really think that you need to have independent trainers and not just internal people who are pitching about the product and just selling the product. They need to understand their place in the industry they need to understand the different types of tools there are in the industry and where they fit and what problems each of those categories and types of tools work and solve. Those are so important when you're having conversations. Merchants and fraud are extremely detail-oriented, but we're also pretty inherently cynical because we're dealing with fraud and bad guys all day. So You got to know that. I know it's not the best, but just understand that. So switching sides. So we're not just picking on the vendors all the time. These bad worst experiences from a vendor or merchant came from vendors. So one says over the many years in the space, there are just as many bad experiences as there are great ones. There is nothing worse than being bucketed as just another vendor and not having the time, effort, dedication to helping solve a problem to be at all valued. The great experiences often result from the ones where we are part of the same team. The terrible ones are where there is some adversarial culture towards vendors. I am sure you'll get some comments about this us versus them mentality. I never got it. In this world, we are all the us and the them is the fraudsters. When there is collaboration and teamwork, great things happen. I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, your peers haven't made it as easy for you. And it's hard as a merchant. Understand that merchants are overworked, undervalued, most likely underpaid. They have 97% of their job is doing other things. Maybe 3% is answering emails and phone calls for vendors. There's not many people that have the partnership title, except for very large companies where they do work with vendors all the time and vet new ones and all that. It's a very small percentage of their job. And you're not the only vendor contacting them. Times it by 100 and the bigger the company, the bigger the email inbox, let me tell you. And the phone calls and everything else, and the LinkedIn messages and everything else. Be patient and understand that this is not that person's full time job. So they don't have the time always to write back right away. I do think it's only fair that they be clear in communication, but I'm getting to that. So another one said, as a vendor in the space, we do a lot of free work in helping to build proofs of concept, testing, traveling to meetings, etc. Again, when starting off conversations around solving complex problems, there is a lot of time and effort and expense in evaluating if we are the right fit as a solution before there is any financial reciprocation. We are totally happy to do it when it's appreciated. I do think that's good to mention. There, you know, vendors aren't getting paid until there's a signed contract. They do a lot of free work in the lead up time. And I know that the average lead up time between introduction and contract signed in this industry is six to eight months. I've heard that from so many vendors that I believe that's industry standard. And that's true for free products too, just so you know. Merchants need to be picky about, especially in this day and age with breaches and everything else, they need to be selective on who their partners are. So they're going to be. The worst experiences generally result when potential clients do not acknowledge that there is, when done correctly, a lot of value being delivered way before we ask anyone to stroke a check. For one client, my team completed multiple data analysis. We had a group of members and senior leaders fly 3000 miles for meetings. And we're assured of at least continued discussions. Then that company ghosted us. No return calls, emails, follow-ups, et cetera. It's always awkward, more for them than me, I suspect, to run into those folks at the same industry trade shows that we all attend every year. So Merchant, I do feel like you owe the sales reps a, you know what, we're just not interested right now. I think that's only fair, especially when they put in so much effort. Okay, I knew time would be my enemy today. And I'm sorry, I'm shuffling papers again. Okay, I wish the other side knew this about my business, decision process, industry perspective, etc. So this is coming from merchants to vendors. We only have so much money, resources and time. Even if I'm interested in a product, it doesn't mean it'll be integrated this year. That's so true. Budgets are super tight for fraud, no matter how big the company is. I hear all the time vendors being like, they're so and so. They should have plenty of money. They're just bleeding money. Yeah, maybe they're like, not bleeding money, but they're just like, you know, dripping money. Maybe for sales and marketing and other departments, but not for fraud prevention. So keep that in mind and understand that. Someone else said it's very hard, if not impossible, for a company of our size to take a significant risk on a small vendor where we become a disproportionate part of their revenue. The product may not be mature enough to benefit us yet. So... I see this all the time with small startups who are like, we're going to get Amazon. We're going to get Walmart. You're not. Like, first of all, the bigger the company, the bigger the ringer they put you through. They have to. Also, you have a lot more competition because everyone's trying to get those big guys. But also, I have seen those contracts take forever and they'll nickel and dime and you may not even make any money off of it. And also, it's a huge risk for a big company to trust a very small solution provider. So know that and be realistic. Um, I think that's really good perspective as someone. OK, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. So this comes from another merchant. As someone in the fraud, risk, trust and safety, I'm constantly slammed. There's not too many people on my team and I don't have time to waste on calls with people that aren't useful. I once got bullied by a salesperson into taking a call on a product that I had no interest in, despite me telling them repeatedly that I had no interest in it. And I can guarantee you that no one at any company I work with will ever do business with a company represented by someone like that as long as I'm around. That sales rep was pushy and I got bullied into the phone call and I will never work with that person again. I need a vendor to ask me about what I'm dealing with, discuss how their product may be able to help with those problems, and to treat me and my time with respect. I don't need to hear about all the great features that I have no interest in. So many people trying to, this is in parentheses, so many people trying to sell me KBA when I neither need it nor want it, but it has a timer. So that means that they won't have time to Google. False. (laughs) I know this person who wrote it. I don't even have to look to see if it was them. I just know it. And they're awesome, but they're also hilarious. They just tell it like it is. And that's why we're friends. Fraud, risk, trust, and safety teams don't have the time or the money to waste on just any service. So you can't just sell us on anything. So true. Go back and listen to that again, please. You are one of the three to five companies that have pitched me this week. Fraud prevention professionals are allergic to manipulative techniques. Go with educational techniques rather than push to close the sale. Fraud prevention is usually one of the last in line for funding. ROI and business case are critical in securing a contract. 100%. If you're not helping the merchant make the business case, providing them, I just created with one of my vendor clients a business use case model where all the merchant has to do is plug in some numbers and figure out what the potential cost savings is. That's super helpful. And I even wrote down an order of operations of exactly where to pull this data and what to do and how to plug it in. Help them. Don't just expect them because if you don't help them make a business case and explain to the business what your product will do for them, it's just gonna fall on the floor for sure. Even if your processes are state of the art or above industry standard, you may be missing out on technological advances by not at least having a learn more mentality. Oh my gosh, I could do an entire episode about this. There are so many vendors who have were great five years ago, but haven't really improved that well because they thought they were the best. I shouldn't say so many. I can think of about four or five that were kind of king of the hill the last like for several years. And they've gotten beat out by better, faster, smarter technology. And now because they didn't stop along the way and say, what else can we do to improve or listening to the negative feedback, which I know they've gotten plenty of so much so that there's one vendor that claims that they have a product that they don't or a feature that they don't. And when they're saying it in sales calls or in marketing materials and at conferences, they're talking about how they have state of the art X and Because I know if I say it, everyone's going to know who it is already. Some people have guessed because this company, unfortunately, has gotten really out of control lately. But, But then current customers will email them or call them. And I've gotten some of those emails forwarded to me. So don't think it stays in a silo with basically, how dare you ask for that? We told you it's coming in a year or two. So when you lie or when you overpromise to try to overcompensate for something, that also isn't good because it's going to be found out either when they implement it or before that. So it doesn't look good. That's part of it. But also just knowing that it's important to learn more. Be humble about your product and your company. Be humble about your own knowledge. You'll learn something. Okay, I'm going to have to skip past some of these, which kind of sucks. But the last one I wanted to say is uh, that I wanted to share for sure, because I literally wrote, yes, exclamation point underneath it is merchants deal with deception all day, every day. If you're BSing, they can smell it. Even if you don't get the sale, merchants talk about sleazy sales tactics all the time. I can't say that enough. I wanted to make sure you guys heard it from a merchant and also for me. So it kind of backs up what I was saying, like, <laughs> they talk about it. Let me tell you. Okay vendors, let's give you a minute. If it's totally okay to say no, this is coming from a vendor to a merchant. If we head down a path and uncover together that there is no value, that happens. You can tell us that. In fact, it's way better for everyone to just have the it's not going to work out conversation than stringing along false hope that it might be or that it might or worse, just ignoring emails, calls, etc. You aren't going to hurt anyone's feelings by getting to a mutual agreement if there's not a fit. I do think that's fair. Merchants, I feel like the least you owe a vendor is to be clear in where you're at and your intentions. If you're playing the field, using my dating analogy again, you're playing the field, let them know. If you're just kicking the tires and you just want free drinks, which does happen in both dating and merchant vendor situations, let them know. Maybe after you drink the drink, but I'm kidding, before would be nice. Like I as a merchant wouldn't go out to dinner with vendors at conferences that I knew our business would never do business with because it wasn't a fit or whatever, the, or we didn't have the budget for that specific product or whatever it was because I didn't want to lead them on. I didn't think it was fair to them. And it's not fair to me because I know once you go out to dinner, you're going to get more emails and calls too. But also it just, it's a waste of everybody's time. I just I think that we all need to be fair and open and honest with each other. Are there some vendors that when you say no, they keep on pushing? Absolutely. Then that's when you need to keep pushing more and more boundaries and say, like, literally, I think there's a few merchants that just want to change their work phone number and I don't blame them at all. Oh, I apologize. I just mixed up all my pages and now I can't find a hop. This is it. Yeah. So I actually highlighted a lot more merchant ones than vendor ones because I think the majority of vendor ones were all basically saying, if you're not interested, tell me I don't want to waste my time either. So it was really all saying the same thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm trying to decide. I really want. Okay. I'm going to do one more category and then I'm going to dive into my expertise here. or Not my expertise, but my suggestions here. And there's, okay. I have a question of if I could give any advice to a merchant or vendor, the opposite of my category, it would be. And then I also have my best experience with someone from the other side was, why was it better than other interactions you've had? I really want to read both of them, but for time's sake, we just can't. Like we've been told we need to keep our podcast under an hour for a lot of reasons, and I'm pushing it. So I again, I will make this available on LinkedIn soon, and I will mention it on a future podcast episode, too, that when it's up. But follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I will post it for sure soon. And I'll do it as an article so everybody gets an alert. Um, Okay, if I could give any advice to a merchant or vendor the opposite of my career, what would it be? These are merchants telling vendors no need to come from a sales approach saying I'd love to pick your brain on fraud prevention doesn't change the perspective that you're a vendor looking to sell me on your product. This is true. And I actually had a conversation with a vendor that I've been working with the other day about this because he was like, I just read this awesome book and it talks about how you need to have a conversation and like just pick their brain and find out what their problems are so you can have a solution. And I'm like, that's all great and good in the in the philosophical world. But we all have the skepticism like, all right, when are you going to sell me? So just be honest and open. Don't play these games of, oh, I just kind of want to pick your brain. I just want to hear. And I had a vendor tell me, oh, I'm going to walk into a really big merchant and just ask them what their problems are. And then I'm going to tell them how my solution can save it. And I Can solve it. And I said, no, uh, that won't work. That big merchant will not tell you what their problems are. They are closed mouth. I know these companies very well and I know exactly who, like what their processes are. And I strongly suggested to my client that they walk in and share what they had first. So they show theirs before the merchant shares theirs. And you have to build that trust because when we're talking about fraud, it's very different than like marketing your sales or anything else saying, oh, we're struggling with our click rate on emails. Is not going to matter if the Wall Street Journal finds out about it. But saying, oh, my gosh, we're having this huge vulnerability with account takeovers and we're seeing this and this. Yeah, that's huge. They've been advised by everyone in their company not to share that publicly. Now, am I super lucky that I'm sometimes the only one outside their company that hears that? Yes. But there's a reason why, because I don't go around sharing it. And I also... Don't use it for my own opportunistic gain. And they know that I'm not coming to them from that place. And so there's trust there. I wouldn't say every merchant trusts me for sure. I don't want anyone to think that, but I'm very lucky that hundreds do. And I always want to keep that, which is why when I do work with vendors, I do have those strict rules. Another tip from a merchant, nobody in fraud, trust or safety is dealing with identical issues, trying to blast people with your solution, saying it's always going to help Just makes you look like you have no idea what the space you're in is. Try to actually build a relationship first and understand the merchant's perspective first and you'll sell a lot more. One hundred times, yes. I have a tip later on that's going to talk about this that I think sums it up pretty well, but that is dead on. This is why that merchant and I are friends. (laughs) And that is not the same merchant. I just, a few people, I I know who they are because I I know what they're, how they speak. (laughs) Understand that your audience fights social engineering for a living. If negotiate to yes, sales techniques are not social engineering, what is? So when you say use these techniques, it can turn off the merchant. De-emphasize the manipulative psychological techniques and emphasize relationship building all these podcasts and books about sales and everything else, a lot of them are horseshit when it comes to fraud. I've worked with a few sales reps recently who are like, I read this book and they say that you need to do this and do that whatever. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work in fraud at all. And I'm right because when they do it, their approach versus the way that I suggest they handle the meeting, there's different outcomes. And Please know, I hope you guys listen to this podcast enough to know that I have zero ego. I'm not trying to say that I know everything. I've just been a part of this industry for 15 years in a very unique position of a 10,000 foot view. And I really do understand the space probably better than most, especially better than the sales reps that have only been in this industry for a year or two. And maybe their last job was selling medical devices. It's night and day. And yes, that's a true story. I did meet somebody at a conference last year who had been selling medical devices two months earlier and then was selling either a fraud chargeback or payment solution. And they thought that their one week of training at their company was exceptional and they knew everything there was to know about this industry. And I was like, wow, that's impressive because I've been in this industry for 15 years and I still don't know everything. But I have a learning mentality, not a knowing mentality. So that's the difference. From let me just make sure that I'm getting this right. There's so many more on this. Don't treat each other like idiots for vendors. Number one, chill out. Don't go over your champion's head within the organization. Go in knowing your solution isn't the only one. And the value of that solution is based on how merchants utilize it. The merchant will tell you how they will use the solution and if it fits their needs. Being honest and easy to work with is more effective than one to five percent uplift from your competitors. I can't just rip and reset to your solution. If it's a fit, it might take time for me to fully integrate your solution and move out legacy solutions to make room. And then this merchant also decided to give a little advice to merchants too, because this, I believe this is the person who was both a vendor and a merchant. I'm 90% sure. For merchants, give the vendor a chance to show they aren't going to railroad you or shove unneeded wanted products down your throat. So just a few quick ones from vendors, and then I'm gonna try to, rush through my advice as well. So one vendor said, I realize it's easy to not respond, but if you're truly not interested in my product, just say so, preferably with a reason. I'll actually stop contacting you. Now, to be fair, this guy doesn't represent all vendors. You and I both know that merchants, but at least give them the benefit of the doubt. At least try once to say, we're not interested now or contact me in six months or this month is really busy. Contact me then. Whatever it is, But be honest and respond if they continue to contact you, if they go around to other people, that's when you blacklist them. That's when I know whether I tell you to or not, you're going to tell five friends at least, if not a room full of merchants at CMP Expo every year. That is not the reason why those merchant only sessions exist. We talk about so many things, but it happens and I do think it's important. And nine times out of ten, actually, there's a lot of merchants that go straight to specific booths after hearing about certain products within those sessions. So they do benefit you guys, but there is some negative ones too. One vendor said, we are all busy. You may think that we vendors are just sitting by our phones waiting for a ring, but that's not the case. I understand and totally appreciate that you are busy too and know that you are bombarded with requests to meet. That said, if I reach out and it has to be out of the blue, if we've never met before, there's no other way. And the message is relevant and compelling. Take the call. There's some consistent messaging in here, guys. <laughs> Another person said typically during an introductory call, we can exchange info briefly and come to a pretty quick understanding if there are areas to work together or not. If at the end of the call, there is no fit. I will not waste your time or mine with pushing something that is clearly not a need. That's not how things work. Your risk, pardon the pun, and that was written. Clever vendor. Uh, Your risk, pardon the pun, is 20 to 30 minutes of time with huge upside to learn about trends, uncover solutions, et cetera, whether we end up working together or not. It's got a fair point. I mean, all of us merchants want to learn, but you do have to be selective about your time. I've been in both situations. Last one I'm going to read. When you are engaged in looking for a solution, make sure you are upfront about if you are actually making a decision or kicking the tires. RFPs are a joke nowadays, and companies already know who they want more than 75% of the time. I wouldn't totally say that's true. I work with several merchants on RFPs. There are several companies, especially older companies, like maybe not the digital first ones in San Francisco, but maybe the ones in the East Coast or the Midwest that do require RFPs for all vendor selection. And some of them genuinely don't know anything about your company. So I wouldn't say that they're all a joke, but I do understand all the points there. Okay. So I'm going to try to go into some of my suggestions. I did take a lot of time to write these out and I'll probably think of more later. Again, these are just some of the things that I cover with my clients, but I really wanted to provide this advice as well to everyone. Okay. So I put it in categories of vendor do's and vendor don'ts. So vendor dues, It's really important for you to understand merchants in general, their jobs, their roles. What's the difference between a trust and safety team and a risk team or a fraud team? What's the difference between if that department uh, reports up to the CFO or to the head of IT? What does that difference mean to you? How do you need to position that tool depending on which organization they roll up into? Understand that they're probably overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, that they have honed their gut and have a strong BS meter that most genuinely love to learn. But that means looking, kicking the tires to see what's out there. So margins want to learn what's out there, but that doesn't always mean that if they're asking you about your product that they're ready to sign on the dotted line anytime soon. And maybe it's on you to ask them where they're at on that. Ask them those questions. I understand that not every merchant is open with that. There's a reason too, though, because a lot of times when they say no, they still get bombarded. So it's why do I even bother sending an email saying no when I'm still going to get 20 more emails? But. I do think that we both sides need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. I do think it's really important for vendors to then better understand the specific company, the vertical, the channels they have. Are they multi channel? Do they just have online and mobile? Do they have stores? What's their business model? What are the possible fraud issues that they have? If you understand fraud well, you can guess what fraud issues they have. If I have a ticketing company that's kind of small and has $50 transactions and isn't recurring and is all digital. I can probably guess the three types of fraud that they're seeing the most right now. That's something that, I know several really good vendors that have been in the space for a while can also do well. Understand that those things are very different than the last merchant you talked to. No merchant is the same. What's that company's attitude towards risk? What What's going on in the company? Like all those things. And yes, yeah, all those things you're not going to find out until you have a conversation and just coming out and asking that is going to put them on guard. Try to understand it better and at least understand the specific vertical on the channels and their business model and how your product can and can't help them. At the very least, do that homework. That will build you some credibility fast because half of your competitors aren't even doing that step. Then drill down even more to understand the person that you're pitching to. What's their role in the company? Are they manager, director, VP? Where do they stand? What's their past experience? Have they been in this industry a long time or not? Like where have they worked before? Do they speak at events? The reason why I say that is that means that they're passionate about fraud, but they also probably know their stuff because they go to conferences and they see what's out there and they talk to vendors. They're not just at their desk and just talking to whoever's cold calling them. And are they the right person to contact? One other thing I mentioned is that most merchants in fraud, especially the new ones, don't have any experience or training in vendor relations. So do give them the benefit of the doubt, but also understand this is not their job. This is not their full time job to answer your emails and your phone calls. I'm going to sound kind of frustrated with that because I feel like so many vendors take this personally and they feel like the only job that merchant has to do is to answer my email and they're not doing it. That is not the case. At all. It is literally two to 3% of their job, if that. Unless there's like a huge need, they've had a huge oh shit moment and they really need a solution fast and they know the type of solution they need, that's the outlier. But most of the time, it's only two to 3% of their job, two to 3% of their focus. Things that I think will make you stand out more than the majority of your competitors in this space is be genuine. Offer education or insights, offer to make a merchant intro to someone in their vertical or with similar issues, offer something of value and you'll earn credibility and you'll also stand out. So that's something I do a lot of times with merchants when I first meet them. When I talk to them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know somebody that's having that same problem as you, or I know someone in your vertical. Would you like an intro? That is the best way to build trust. But understand I'm not building trust because I want to sell them something later. It's not even coming from a place of I want to consult for them later because I just have an attitude of the right people will come to me. I don't need to continue to pitch. And I've been very grateful for that and for word of mouth and credibility. But it really is genuinely because I want to help them. And I have noticed when I do help them, that builds a level of trust. And it's something that's really important. And it's something that most of your competitors are doing. But don't be obvious about it. Don't say, hey, when I introduce you to this merchant and they happen to be my client and they're going to talk to you about me all the time. No, just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Do it without any expectations in return. It's if you're bringing flowers to your first date or your second date or whatever you're not, you shouldn't be expecting anything else out of that. You should just be bringing flowers to bring flowers. But it does set the tone and shows that you value them and that you want to be a helpful partner, not just pitch them your product don't go over their heads. So these are the don'ts. Don't go over their heads. Don't go under them. I said this before, Miss, say it again. Don't reach out to 40 some other people. I did. I said that already and I'm not going to do that again. But seriously, I mean it. Don't tell too much information about specific companies that you've worked with, especially if it's negative. i when I was a merchant, I had a vendor once tell me like, oh, we're doing this big project for this company. And f- oh my gosh, their shit, like they, they don't have their stuff together. And, uh, and, then we're also doing this project for them and it's not yet announced and nobody knows about it yet. What that vendor didn't know is that my husband works for that company. That was super unfortunate for that vendor. So I asked my husband like, hey, are you guys going to do this new big thing? And now it's actually been a huge part of the business. And he does work for a very large company that's based in Seattle. And it was a huge business initiative that this vendor was helping them support. And he's my husband said, how did you know that? Like, I, sh- I can't even tell you that. Like, how did you know about that? I'm like, your vendor is off flabbing. What that also told me when I was a merchant is I can't trust them with my information. Why would I tell them what's going on in my business? Where am I vulnerable if they're going to go run and gossip to someone else? Just because you information about another merchant doesn't mean that somebody's going to think it's cool because you know it. Now, if you say, if you don't name drop and you say, hey, I've been working with this merchant and they had this issue and this is how we were able to solve it, that's fine. But merchants actually don't respect name dropping. They actually, it's the reverse. So I know a lot of vendors think like, oh, if I name drop who I've talked to or who I've had a meeting with, then they're going to think that I'm legit and they're going to want to talk to me too because that company's talking to me. And again, that might work somewhere else. But when it comes to sensitive stuff like fraud, no, we get really nervous when a vendor starts name dropping their clients or their prospects because that means that they're probably going to name drop us too. So Keep that in mind, even with or without an NDA. It's just super important. The more you push, you're pushing them away. Traditional sales tactics don't work. The used car salesman, the aggressive salesperson, the person who's creative and thinks outside the box and contacts their, their boss, like all that stuff. It doesn't work. It gets you on really essentially their vendor negative list. It's almost a fraud negative list, but their vendor negative list. And again, they tell people who's on their negative list and they remember who's on their negative list. We have very long memories. There are certain companies I would never work with and I have a hard time even recommending them to clients because of the way they treated me when I was a merchant. That's just how it is. Sorry, it's just the way it is. I do try to have an open mind, but there are some companies where that it's ingrained in the company on how to sell or how to act or whatever. And just the whole thing is rotten, you know, fish rots from the head, so to speak. The note sales approach doesn't work. Like I said, we're on to you. It's don't be sneaky. Just be genuine. That's all we ever ask for. Every merchant is different. Your solution isn't right for everyone. OK, I'm going to make that the final thing. I'm going to two more things and then I'm going to go back to that. Don't be hung up on brands. The bigger the company, the more pitches they get, the harder it is to have a contract. Some big merchants will actually rip off the type of solutions you have. So they'll have you in for all kinds of demos and everything else they'll bring in their head architect. And they'll tell you it's because they want to see how, you know, how to implement your product because they're really interested in it. And then they'll do the exact same thing. There's only about four or five merchants I know that have done that, but they're the big ones that everybody wants to work with. And not all the time, just sometimes. This is one of my biggest pet peeves ever. Do not lie. It will be found out. I literally wrote this in all caps. Don't lie about your product capabilities. Don't provide guarantees before looking at any data. Don't overcharge your customers. Unfortunately, because of how much money is you know available in this industry, we unfortunately have some unscrupulous solution providers in our midst. I, I hate that. I did. It wasn't like that when we just had a handful. It wasn't like that until the last few years. But there have been some opportunistic people who have created companies, and I don't believe that they have the merchant's best interest in heart. And if you have to lie to get a sale, that's not you. There's something wrong with your product and there's something wrong with your company. Really honestly, and everybody knows when you're lying and it looks really bad on you. I have seen, I think one specific company right now that had a sterling reputation, like a really good reputation. And I sent people there because based on the fact that merchants love them. And the last year or two, after taking some outside money, the entire DNA of the company has changed and they're aggressive and they lie and they, it's not good. And honestly, that's really frustrating for me and for merchants and it it gives everybody a bad name. So here's the last thing I want to leave you guys with vendors that I want to leave you with. And then I'm going to go into merchants fairly quickly. Obviously, I know that I'm taking up some of your time, but I hope you're finding this helpful for your business and your interactions, whether it's at a conference, over the phone, over an email, whatever it is. So here's the last pieces of advice I really want to leave you vendors with. Instead of identifying the companies and brands that you want to work with, you really should be identifying the verticals and the business models that would benefit most from your solution. Not every pro- merchant is going to benefit from your solution, and if you believe that, if you just think it's a numbers game and you're just gonna throw stuff up against the wall and see what sticks, your reputation's gonna go down with it. Vendors get really annoyed when they're like, "What am I supposed to do with this? This won't help me." Like, why didn't this didn't help me? And then they might say something to somebody. So, really honestly, I suggest doing like a full day strategy and this is something I I can run or you can do it internally. But looking at what types of companies can we genuinely help? What product do we provide? I, I do think an outside perspective, whether it's mine or someone else's, who knows exactly like what verticals and channels benefit from what specific types of companies and the categories of the, of the vendors would be very helpful, but it doesn't have to be me. Really honestly identify who's going to benefit from me most. And then learn more about those verticals. Learn why they benefit from you. Just start small. Instead of having to learn the whole industry, learn who your change who your target market is. It's not the brands that, oh, I want to be able to put this brand on our website or I want to be able to get that fat check from this huge company. What are the companies that are going to benefit from your product the most? And you also need to compare it to other companies. Like, okay, we have this awesome product, but honestly. Bigger companies that are Fortune 100 companies are probably going to benefit from the more expensive solution in my category. Okay, there's actually a lot more smaller and medium merchants than there are those big fish. I'm going to focus on those and I'm going to learn as much as I can about those guys. I think that's going to be a huge key to success for vendors for sure. Also, just being genuine and curious and sharing information as much as you're learning information is going to help you go a long way. Okay. All right. merchants. You're not off the hook. I've said that throughout this episode, but just to kind of recap, I really encourage you guys to educate yourselves on the different types and categories of tools, what they do, how they work, all of those things. Now, I've created something for CMP, which they've now since adapted into a buyer's guide. But if, and I do think that the buyer's guide is very helpful, don't get me wrong. But I separate out each category of products and there's actually one or two more to add because I did this last year, but the different categories of vendor solutions and then a little bit, just a tiny bit of the problems that they solve. It's not comprehensive. It's more just like, A direction. Because I think what happens is that every vendor says like, oh, we can help everybody and oh, what's your problem? Oh, yeah, we've got a solution for that. And it's not the case. And also you might have a specific problem that you just need a single layer for a verification or authentication or something like that. And sometimes you don't know who provides what. So that's why we created the buyer's guide. But at the top of each buyer's guide, it has like a paragraph that I wrote last year describing each category and then there are vendors in each category underneath those as well. It it is a really good resource. I, my intention was not for it to become a business, a form of revenue. So that's if you're hearing some skepticism in my voice, that's why, but I do think it's a very good tool and I created it with, with very good intentions, but it is free for merchants. Really find out what they do, how they work. So then that way, whether you have a problem now or later, you know, oh, okay, we need to go look at this type of tool and kind of sketch out. Okay. What do we have now? If our frog gets worse. If it's ATOs, we're going to look at this. If it's carding, we're going to look at this. If it's content abuse, we're going to look at this. If it's lots of new account orders, we're going to look at that. Things like that. Just really learn those. I think that's helpful. Be curious. Ask questions to pre-qualify the vendor. So just like they're pre-qualifying you to figure out if you would be the right candidate or if you're likely to purchase their products, you need to pre-qualify them. And then on top of that, you really need to be honest about the likelihood of implementing their tool. Don't play hard to get. Don't play games. Don't ghost people. Like, come on, guys, this is a small industry. I get that it's time intensive. I get that you're getting hundreds, if not thousands of these a year. So I understand I've been in your shoes, but maybe you just have a boilerplate email where it's like, hey. I really appreciate the effort, but we're just not really interested right now. Vendors don't always understand that you guys don't have unlimited budgets. I get it that you also probably don't have unlimited project managers or unlimited product managers or unlimited resources in development. God knows you probably don't have engineers at your disposal whenever you want. There's very few companies that do have a dedicated resource to fraud and risk. If you have them, you are very lucky. I even worked once with a merchant that had their own data scientist for fraud and Oh my gosh, it was so awesome. But I'm getting a little bit off track. What am I not? But let them know if you're window shopping, if you're looking to address a need right now, if you're looking for the future, if you're just kind of curious, do you have a budget that could cover it or not? Be super honest. I think that a lot of the issues come from when you're not clear, hey, not right now, or not at all. Now, granted, again, I know there's a lot of people that don't respect that boundary, but when they don't respect the boundary, that's when you can be annoyed and frustrated and bitch about them. But until they don't respect that boundary, give them the benefit of the doubt and share with them. You don't have to be specific and say, hey, our chargebacks are at 30 basis points. So we really don't care about that. Like, no, you don't have to give specifics. Just a little clear honesty, I think, would go a really long way. Yeah, I think both sides need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Everyone's just trying to do their jobs. It It does feel like it's conflicting, but really, at the end of the day, We're really lucky in 2019 to have so many vendor options. And yeah, there are some ones that I don't think are that great or that are unscrupulous. But the majority of them are really amazing and help us beat the bad guys and help us do it in a way that you don't have to build something internally. So they do add a lot of value. Treat them like they have value. But at the same time, be respectfully, be respectful. Feel free to set some boundaries if you need to. I'm going to just reiterate this one more time, like don't ghost vendors. Be clear in your communication. Understand that some genuinely do want to help. Some are a little overeager sometimes, I'm not going to lie, but some of them and some of them might say they really want to help, but you can tell that they're really just saying that because they read it in a book somewhere that's a sales tactic. But because we've all honed our gut, we also know the genuine people. And I think of some of the vendors I know that have been in the space 5, 10, 15 years Those guys are friends to merchants. They're friends. They know what works and what doesn't work a lot better than some of these new guys. I I hope that one day the new guys catch up, but understand that they're not all the same either. Don't group them in the same bucket. Give Give them a chance and... Give them a chance to accept your feedback of not now. And then if they cross that line, then you can write them off. My merchant don'ts are don't be as skeptical off the bat. Let them show you, you who they are. Don't believe everything you hear. Unfortunately, not all providers have a good product or good ethics. I know that's a little bit repetitive from what I said earlier, but I do think that's important, especially to some of you new merchants out there who don't go to conferences often who may not kind of hear the word on the street or the scuttlebutt as much as other merchants who have been in this industry a while and have lots of friends in the space and everything else do be skeptical. I have seen several merchants get really burned. I had a client last year that I literally joked with her, but I kind of wasn't joking that she needed therapy after her experience with one of the vendors that just completely screwed her and her company over to the point where they called me like, oh my gosh, we need your help. But they didn't trust anyone. Like when I suggested another merchant or another vendor, they were like, no, is there any way we can just work with another consultant? Because we really don't trust another vendor again. And it was absolutely awful. The things that were done and said and everything else like this merchant had every reason to not trust that vendor. and But unfortunately, it meant that they had every reason to not trust future vendors too they had serious trust issues. Like it was almost like PTSD level. Not that bad. I don't ever want to like diminish the impacts of PTSD. I just mean that like it was really bad. I've never seen anything like it, honestly. Like it just kept coming up in conversations like, oh, they said this. So I don't know what to believe from any provider anymore. Not even our current partners. I really don't feel like I can trust anyone. It was because the merchant didn't really know that they couldn't trust what that company said. And They thought that they knew their stuff. Reach out, ask each other questions, ask other merchants. If you don't know other merchants to ask, you can contact me. I'm trying really hard. Like I said in a previous episode, I do have to start setting boundaries of my own and restricting free advice, which I really hate. But at the same time, it's not fair to my paying clients to continue to give out free advice. Now, granted, I'm not giving out the same advice to my paying clients as I am people, but it's also a time thing. I'm a mom, I'm a podcaster. I work with CNP. I work with a fintech company long-term. I have several other clients going. I have vendor clients going. Like it's really challenging where my heart is to just want to answer everyone's question. I just can't all the time, but I can try or reach out to a merchant yourself on LinkedIn. If you are a merchant, I should pre-qualify that. Or I should qualify that. If you are a merchant, reach out to another merchant and say, hey, you know what? I'm new to the space. I'd love to pick your brain. And there are some senior merchants that get those emails quite often and sometimes they have to set some boundaries. But for the most part, they all, I mean, they all love to do it. They just unfortunately have to also earn their paycheck. But reach out to them. Don't be intimidated of a big company. I mean, I would say some of the bigger ones, they have rules around sharing information on fraud. And if Brett were here, he would have a lot to say about that. And I would agree with him. Take a chance. Don't be intimidated by people in this industry at all. I think the majority of us really want to learn from each other and grow. And because we all recognize that we don't know everything. Maybe we know almost everything about the fraud in our own company, but maybe we don't know about the fraud in different other types of companies. And we're fascinated by that, either because we want a career change or not. Okay. So just as expected, even though I cut out a lot of what I was going to share, I went way over my goal time. Hopefully my editor isn't too upset at me, but I really, there was so much information to share with you guys on this topic. And I really wanted to do it justice. And that's part of the reason why it took a little while. And unfortunately I had to take a couple of days to grieve my friend this week. And that's just me being super honest. It was really hard. And I, it really also made me realize just how close a lot of us are in this industry. We are like borderline family because we are in a battle together um, against the bad guys and we bond. And I think a lot of us have similar personality types and we see each other a few times a year and all those other things. And so it, it just made me realize how thankful I am for so many of you. And I mean, the people that I do know, and I know there's a lot of you I don't know, but I am thankful for you for listening. But just it's so cliche after any tragedy happens. But seriously, hug your partners, hug your kids, hug your family, tell your friends how much they mean to you. Because I mean, Ryan was the same age as I am. And so that was like, whoa, really kind of coming to terms with my own mortality. All right. So you can tell at the end of the podcast because I'm kind of switching topics around. But I am really looking forward to seeing so many of you guys at CMP. We have a lot of really fun things planned, both with the live podcast and the entire conference. Anyway, really excited to meet meeting everyone, seeing everyone that I know, and love doing this podcast. But we always love hearing what you guys love. Don't forget, like we mentioned on the last episode, after the live podcast, we're going to take a couple week break. We're going to come back and reformat the podcast to have a little bit more of a wider audience, but we will still be doing some merchant specific content. I have made sure of it because you all know as cheesy as it is, you have my heart and my passion. I do strongly believe that educating everybody on cybercrime is going to make the internet a better place for merchants eventually. So if I can do a small part of that, then I want to, but you guys are aware it's just, it's home for me. What I know and I, and I love it. So, with all that, we love to hear what you love about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. And you can always find us on Facebook on our website, www.onlinepodcast.com. We love it when you subscribe and when you tell your friends that, honestly, if this was helpful to you and if I provided like free advice that's going to help you do your job better and make more money for your company, please, the least you can do is review us on iTunes, subscribe, and put a post on LinkedIn about how much you like us. That's the least you can do. If you want to hire Brett or I, we're happy to do that as well. But that's the least you could do in a reciprocal fashion here. All right, guys, that's it for us for me today. And as we always close out our episodes until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant and stay secure.